everybody, and welcome to another World Football Index World Cup Group Preview Podcast. Today, we will be looking at Group F, headlined by the defending World Cup champions, Germany, and a couple of other teams that will look to fight, perhaps, for that second place spot and get out and in to the round of 16. I'm your host, Austin Miller, joined right now uh, by Andy Wales, who wrote this past year on the Bundesliga for the World Football Index website. Andy, you're very welcome on the podcast. Very happy to have you. Hope you're doing well today. I am doing well. Uh, My pleasure to be uh, here, and thanks for the invite. And we're also joined right now by Steve Hahn, who is here to break down South Korea for us. Steve, I hope you're doing well. You're very welcome on the podcast as well. I am. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And as I'm sure you, the listeners, know, it can be hard to get four analysts in one place at one time. So later on in the show, we'll be joined by a couple of guys who will break down both Sweden and then John Arnold from the World Football Phone-In will break down Mexico for us. But Andy, let's get right into talking about Germany. There's so many things that point to this Germany team being among the favorites at the World Cup. You look at the talent established, the fact that they won the last World Cup. Just how good do you think this Germany side are? Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, they're the world champions, so they, they have been the best, or if they're not the best, they're certainly one of the, the top three possibly four teams in the world uh, consistently. Uh, that's a big thing for me, for for this Germany side over the past probably eight years, eight to ten years, is they've established a, a real level of consistency. There's such a depth of talent. And, and it's, I mean, it's it, it not quite as unique as it was maybe four or five years ago because you look at a few other nations who are really sort of, you know, getting a, a much deeper deeper base of of uh, talent and players to pick from but the, this germany squad the, and it's when i say this squad i mean these this pool of players that uh, Joachim love has to pick from is, is so so deep it's i mean it's a privileged position really they what they did in germany with the way that re, they remodeled the game and re-emphasized things uh, into into the academies has really borne fruit and uh, come to fruition probably sooner than they thought and I dare say even more successful than they thought. It's uh, a fantastic group of players and, and it's evolved. This is a thing. It's not just one group of players that all came together and all gone out together. You know, that they keep coming through. They keep bringing them through all the time. And that's part of the thing. I love watching the Bundesliga. I've enjoyed covering the Bundesliga for World Football Index this past year. There's just so much talent coming through all the time. It's it's just like a non-stop conveyor belt. So it's it, it's fantastic to watch. And as a football fan, it's, it's something really good to enjoy. And Andy, so much Bundesliga flavor in this Germany squad. But I think one of the things that stands out to me, and I'm not somebody who watches the Bundesliga closely or really follows Germany all that much outside of, of the major tournaments, is it's not just from Bayern Munich. Yes, there's a lot of Bayern Munich players in here, but you've got players from Leverkusen, from Red Bull Leipzig, Stuttgart, Hertha Berlin, Cologne, Mönchengladbach. And I think that really speaks to just the depth of this talent pool and the depth of talent that is in Germany right now. So often you hear that the Bundesliga is Bayern Munich and everybody else. And yes, they're, they're better than everybody else, but there's some very good players on the rest of those Bundesliga sides. Yeah, absolutely. That is you're on the money there. It is, you know, it's well distributed, the talent in Germany. It's not just all centralized around Bayern. Obviously, yes, Bayern are the best team in Germany. They're the biggest team in Germany. They've got seven players in this squad and traditionally, you know, a strong buying contingent, you know, makes for a strong Germany team. And and there's probably about five of those buying players will expect to be starting 
you know, the, in the opening game for Germany. So they do dominate the Germany team, and obviously they've got a very strong influence on the squad itself. But you're absolutely right. It's it, the rest of the squad is well proportioned, is well, you know, well brought in from all the different leagues, you know, in the Premier League, in La Liga, uh, in Syria. You know, it's it's not just the Bundesliga. It's the talent is dispersed, and obviously you're from that. You're learning different tactics, different ways of playing. You're developing your game, and and I think Germany's benefited from that as well. Not just the the way that they've operated internally in the Bundesliga and how they bring talent through, and how they work with their coaches as well, but the fact that that those players are also going out and picking up different things, learning new skills, learning new ways, uh, and then bringing it all back together for the national team. And it's um it, it's a, a really privileged position. I think the Joachim Love has in in terms of the the depth of talent and the level uh, of quality of that talent that he's got at, uh, at his disposal. And he's been in charge now since 2006, so he's going on 12 years as Germany's manager. Do you think they'll play any differently at this World Cup than we've maybe seen in the past, you know, in 2014 or 2016 at the Euros? Or, or is it still the same tired and true formula for Germany as they head to Russia? How do you expect this team to line up and kind of how do you expect them to play? Uh, I would expect very much similar. I mean, Joachim Love's not one to, you know, to suddenly throw it, throw the uh, the book out and start again all of a sudden. Uh, certainly going into a, a major tournament like this, they do tend to uh, prefer the 4-2-3-1 system that he's had in place for a long time. He likes to stick with lots of his trusted players. I mean, there has been a few surprises in there. In you know, a lot of the talk around the, the squad that he selected was the but the players that aren't there. You know, he stays very loyal to players who've done well by him. Mario Goetze, the biggest name that wasn't even selected for the provisional squad, but I, I guess you know, given the injuries and the form issues he's had over the past few seasons, probably not such a surprise. But he will stick by a lots of lots of players that he's he's trusted. And and that's where you see like it's a it's a big shock to lots of people uh, who follow the Premier League or are based in the UK that Leroy Sané has been uh, omitted from the Germany squad. But in Germany, it's probably not quite such a big surprise because they look at it from you know that Sané's played twelve games for Germany and he hasn't particularly impressed yet, whereas Julian Draxler who has been on the bench for PSG, but has always done well by Yogi Love for the national team. So, you know, he, he's he's picked with Brandt, who's done well for Leverkusen and has done well when he's played for Germany. He's, he's picked Royce, who's always done well for Germany when he's been available and, 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 you, and Joachim Love knows him and trusts him. And this is a thing, I think it's... It's not just around the players. He knows and trusts players and he'll tend to stick by them and be loyal to them but also in the way that he operates. And for that, I, I find it difficult to imagine that they're going to change anything. You, you just expect to see a very similar approach. You know, Germany are difficult to beat. They're very resolute. Uh, they never know when they're beaten, but they've got such a strong winning mentality to them. You know, they've got good technique. And what they've also got there now in abundance, as is coming more and more to the fore over the past few years, is they've got blistering pace in attack when they need it as well. So, if anything, perhaps Germany is slightly more dangerous on counter-attacks than what you'd previously seen at tournaments. 
and they've been just so, so successful recently. It's a very nice luxury for Lowe. As you said, he can make that decision to, to kind of leave Sané home because there's so much of the rest of the talent that, that he can afford to go with guys that he trusts because this team just is so good. Andy, not necessarily an issue in goal, but certainly a question for Germany. Manuel Neuer didn't play hardly at all this year, uh, made his first appearance in September in a friendly, but did get in the final Germany squad, and it looks as though he'll start ahead of Marc-Andre Ter Stegen, who was very good for Barcelona this year. What do you make of the decision to have Neuer in the squad, and what do you make of the expected decision to have him be the Germany number one? It's an interesting conundrum. It certainly is. I think for any other nation, and possibly for any other goalkeeper, um, he wouldn't have made the squad, uh, let alone you know, be almost assured of his place as, as the number one starting goalkeeper. Like you said, you know, he hasn't played since September. But the special case is this is Manuel Neuer. And this is a guy who's kind of redefined goalkeeping over the past decade. At the 24, uh, 2014 World Cup, for me, he was the Ballon. He should have been the Ballon d'Or winner. I thought he was absolutely sensational that year. Uh, just uh, such a difference maker, such a, uh, such a presence in goal. All them qualities. The big thing is, you know, like you say, he hasn't played since September. It's the unknown. He looked, he certainly didn't look like he had any ring rust when they played uh, Austria in a, in a friendly the other night. But, you know, who's to say how he'll be there up there in the, in the, in the tournament? Now, Tish Stegen yet has been doing fantastically well. And again, you know, goalkeeper is another position where goal, where, where Germany have so many uh, players to choose from. It, I mean, it's ridiculous. You, you, could, you, you could arguably take any one of around eight goalkeepers to to the tournament they have so much depth in that position it is it is ridiculous almost i mean there was calls for um, sven ulreich to be included in in the squad who had stood in for for um, manuel neuer at bayern all uh, well almost all of the season and and impressed a lot of people so i, I think it's the status of neuer that that immediately gets him back in and again that kind of um, you know it, get, it pulls back to that whole thing of, of Joachim Love, trusting players and trusting what he does in his system, that players who've done well for him, he will stand by them. So he knows that Neuer's always been such a, a big presence and such a great performer that, you know, it's almost without question that if he's fit, he's in that squad. And almost likely if he's in the squad, he's in that starting team. And it must be difficult for Tish Stegen, but I guess he's maybe thinking, well, you know, it, maybe in a couple of years' time, I'll naturally take over and, and assume the number one position anyway. But um, it's a curious one, and and I guess the you know the old cliche, the proof's in the pudding. I, I guess we won't really tell until they're in competitive games, and let's just see how he actually performs. And that that could be where. Uh, Love will ultimately get judged on whether or not it was the right decision to make. You do have to feel for Ter Stegen, as you said. Just about every any other team at this World Cup, he's probably the number one goalkeeper. You can maybe think of an exception here or there. Spain, probably he's behind De Gea. But he happens to be German and he happens to be behind Manuel Neuer. It almost looked as though he would finally get his chance, but it looks as though he'll be forced to wait. Again, Andy, it's been a bit of a story recently. Germany has struggled in some recent friendlies. In fact, they haven't won a match 
since their last competitive fixture, which was that final World Cup qualifier. They, of course, won all 10 World Cup qualifiers they played. Not so much if there's any concern about the results, because there probably shouldn't be. But has there been anything in those friendlies that does give you cause for concern as this Germany team heads to the World Cup? Have you seen anything that says, okay, this is the type of team that is going to give them issues in Russia? I think the the, the real thing to note is with Germany, it's there's that marked difference between competitive and non-competitive football and and obviously trying different players and 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 how, experimenting with a few different things here and there but like Italy and I know they're not at this world cup but Germany become a different team when they get to a tournament there's sometimes even in qualifying they can look less than impressive the, the the amount of times they get beaten in friendlies and and teams will think wow you know we must be making progress. We've beaten Germany. Then you get them in the, in the tournament in competitive football, and they're a completely different animal. So it's it's difficult to judge them by friendlies because there's just something different about them, and their their mentality does change somewhat once they get into that tournament. The kind of team that I would probably expect them to uh, to find difficult would be probably a team like Spain who look to keep the ball and keep possession more how would you say a bit more robust to uh, to be impressed on the ball in certain areas so are the other teams any team that will allow Germany any pockets of space whatsoever uh, and may you know commit themselves to going forward I think this Germany team can punish them on the counter attack so it's hard to, it's it's a difficult difficult one to, to pick out in terms of just looking at their friendlies like I say with their mentality but um the only other thing possible weaknesses I guess would be uh, a few of the players getting that little bit older and perhaps uh, getting caught for legs. You, know, you, you look at there isn't a lot of pace in Tony Cross and um, uh, and uh, the back line it were like Mats Hummels. You know <laughs> that potentially potentially could be where they get caught in Sammy Kadira. Other than that, it's uh, the very very strong, uh, resolute, uh, and like I say, I, I think if there's a team to really sort of struggle them. To give them struggles, I think it would probably be Spain. Andy, are there any potential breakout players in this Germany squad? Again, most of them are pretty well known, but is is there anybody that is maybe a bit lesser known on the world stage that you could see breaking out and having a big tournament for Germany here at this World Cup? I think if if you're not already aware of him, that the left back Jonas Hector that plays for FC Köln. Uh, a fantastic player, really, really quality left back, gets up and down the pitch so well, very, very well balanced uh, and also very, very tactically flexible, can dip, play in different positions. And I think he could be instrumental to, to how Germany do in terms of transitioning their defence and their attack. He could be an important one. Again, he came through at the Euros, but on the on the world stage, you know, last time round it was Benedict Hoverdes was playing left back. So he, you know, Hector brings a completely different dimension to uh, to Hoverdes playing there. So it, it could it could be Jonas Hector that people that maybe aren't too familiar with watching, uh, and the the real potential of breaking out for those who may have heard of him but not really seen him would be Julian Brandt of uh, Bayer Leverkusen I've described uh, Leroy Sané as having blockbuster talent and that was from the first moment I saw him play for Schalke I, I, I was just impressed and wowed uh, Julian Brandt also has the talent the the potential to be up there 
in that kind of bracket as well. This this kid is is sensationally talented. He's strong. He's very very quick. But he's also again he's versatile and he offers different things and different possibilities. And that's potentially why Yukim Love has picked him ahead of Sane. So. Um, for those who maybe not too aware of them and not really seen them, then then perhaps Brand and Hector could be uh, could be the guys to break out and uh, win new fans in this tournament. Final question for you, Andy. Before we move on, is there anything in this group that you think will trouble Germany? Is there any team that they'll be particularly concerned about, or does this feel like a pretty easy three matches and through in first place? Because Germany do have to be that maybe bit careful in this group because a slip up could finish them in second and depending on how group egos could set up a mouthwatering round of 16 fixture against Brazil so they will want to make sure they come out in first place in this group is there anything that leads you to believe that that won't happen I will say I, I doubt it it's hard to say I think the only team that, that potentially co- could cause them um, frustrations would be Sweden but um, again that's the kind of frustrations perhaps holding them to a draw or something like that that uh, other than that I wouldn't say easy but because I, I think this uh, Germany tend to warm up as as you know get better as they go along uh, and I would expect them to not but not necessarily really impress people in the group games but do enough to get the job done so I, I, I would have thought honestly just looking at it I, I'd have thought Sweden potentially could cause them the most frustration but in reality, I'd expect them to um, to win all the games, but you know, certainly not easily though. It's far from it. It is a World Cup after all. It's never easy for anybody when you do head to that World Cup. Thanks much, Andy. We'll get your prediction later on in the podcast. And I want to bring Steve back in as we shift gears and start talking about South Korea. Uh, Steve, the preparation for this South Korean team heading into the World Cup does not appear to be going particularly well. Qualification right. didn't go particularly well. They just got through avoiding a playoff in the Asian Federation. Is there reason for hope for this South Korea team at the World Cup? Because the signs do not appear to be good. The, the expectations by the public is probably at an all-time low. Recently, there was a public poll conducted by Gallup Korea. And the respondents, um, at, like I think it was about 35%. 35% of the only only 35% of the respondents said that they expect Korea to go through from the group stage and that's actually a, an all-time low figure because uh, most of the time I mean Korean football fans aren't exactly known for being realistic and most of the time in previous tournaments um ahead of previous tournaments it was above well above 50% the same level of expectations but this time it's obviously not the case but um, I mean, you asked if there's a reason for reason to to expect uh, Korea to do well, and um, I mean, my answer would be um, because there has been a coaching change uh, fairly recently towards the end of qualifying. Um, he's rated um, to be a better manager than Uli Stilke, who has been in charge of Korea from 2014 to 2017, and um, he has been experimenting quite a bit over the last year or so, which is not a good sign for a team that's heading into the World Cup in about two weeks. But um, the team has performed better uh, substantially under the new manager. But will that be good enough? That's obviously the the, the, the ultimate question. And um, no one can, can certainly say yes to that as of now. 
Steve, looking at this South Korea squad that will head to the World Cup, a vast majority of them feature in Asia, whether for South Korean or Japanese or even Chinese clubs. Who are some of the names that people who don't follow South Korean football should be aware of heading into this World Cup? Who are the players in this squad that are instrumental pieces? You've got a couple of the names that might be more familiar, but a lot of the names are probably going to be pretty unfamiliar to people. So who are the names we should be watching out for from this team in Russia? Uh, If I had to pick one player, it would be Lee Jae-sung, who plays for Jumbo Hyundai Motors in in Korea. He's a really versatile midfielder who can play on either wings. He can also play through the center. Um, he's sort of like a he, he's a playmaker, but and he's not exactly the best goal scoring player. But he's sort of the player who's expected to uh, dictate tempo for this Korean team and the attacking half. Um, obviously, you know when you mention the Korean national team, people like to talk about Sonungmin, who plays for Tottenham Hotspur, obviously. But he's more of a goal scorer for this team. He's the designated finisher who's expected to score goals inside the box. But in and around the final third, uh, Lee Jae-sung is the player who's expected to run the attack, especially with so many injuries to the team at the moment. Um, he's obviously the player that everyone that, that, that everyone's uh, hoping to have a good World Cup. And how about this South Korean defense? What do you expect from them in Russia? They'll be tested certainly not only by Germany, but also by Mexico. It's, it's difficult to say because... Um, no one knows how the how the back line will line up once the tournament starts because of uh, the manager Shin Taeyong has said that he's still tinkering. Um, he's still undecided between whether to use three at the back or four at the back. And um, Korea has played fairly well under Shin when they played the classic four four two because I think given the nature of that system, it's easier for for them to. Um, to, to, to set up that way and press the opposition, which ultimately leads to better counterattacking um, opportunities. But um, the def- defending has obviously been a big problem for Korea. They've conceded quite a few goals, um, even in, even in recent friendlies. Uh, they conceded two goals against Northern Ireland in, in, in March, and the game after that against Poland, they conceded three. And um, uh, just a couple of days ago, when they played Bosnia at home, which was their send-off game in Korea before they headed out to um, to, to Austria for their final training camp, they conceded three goals in that game. So defending is obviously a concern. And um, if that doesn't get uh, fixed to a certain degree, uh, we could be in for a really, uh, really disastrous World Cup campaign. But yeah, we'll just have to wait and see how things go. A lot of uncertainties for the, for this Korean team right now. You brought up Sun earlier. He's obviously one of the biggest names in this squad. Uh, what is Sun's role in this team? And do you think he feels a certain amount of pressure heading into this World Cup? Oh, yes. I mean, pressure. There's, there's no question about that. Um, obviously, with so many injuries to this team right now, um, there's a player by the name of Kwon Chang-hoon who plays for uh, Dijon in France, and he's really had a breakout season in, in, in France this season, but he won't be able to make it to the World Cup this time because uh, he tore his Achilles in the last game of the season. And he was supposed to be sort of like the complementary player um, on the opposite side of Sun on the right on the right flank who can, who can contribute substantially for the Korean team, but he won't be available. So obviously all pressure is really on Son Heung-min to come through but at the same time, uh, many Korean fans will agree with me when I say that um, Son hasn't exactly been at his best when he played for the national team. And obviously a part of that has to do with the fact that he doesn't have the kind of support that he has at Tottenham. But um, even considering that, um, Son's level of performance for the national team more often than not has been below average. Um, I think part of that has to do with the fact that um, just by nature, he's not the most consistent dribbler. And um, he isn't exactly a playmaker either. He's the sort of player who can exploit open space behind the uh, the opposition back line. And, and, and finishing off chances is really 
his his biggest strength. But um, Korea, obviously, um, they're missing a couple of their playmakers for this tournament because of injuries. And it's it's really a difficult situation for Sun because uh, he'll have to go out of his comfort zone to lead the, the front line for Korea. And I'm not sure if he's accustomed to playing that kind of role. So we'll just have to see and, 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 and wait, wait, how things, wait and see how things go for, for, for him and also for Korea. So if South Korea do have success at this World Cup, if they do get right. out of the group, which, which seems like a, a pretty good definition of success for them, why do you think it mm-hmm. will be? You know, How do you think they'd have to play and how well do you think they'd have to perform against Mexico and Sweden and perhaps even Germany? It'll, have to, it, it'll come down to how they defend against these teams. But I do think um, against Sweden, I think they'll be the team. I think Korea will be the team that will control possession and they'll be the side that will that will attack more frequently than 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 Sweden simply because um, I do believe that Korea has more attacking talent than Sweden. That's number one. And number two, um, just given the way uh, Sweden like to play, I think Korea will be the side that will have the ball more. And uh, I think all bets are on the Sweden game at the moment. I think even even the manager uh, Shin Taehyung has come out and said that he's gonna go all hands on deck against Sweden if they don't win that game. They're going to be in trouble, not because they think that um, Sweden are an easier opponent than Mexico or Germany, but because um, the goal for Korea is to find a way to get through this group. And the first game is obviously just so, so important. And in in international tournaments, when when Korea has found success, um, it's always been the first game when like they've been able to win that first game and they were able to go um, from strength to strength from there. and, and, And they've performed well that way. So. The Sweden game is obviously key, and that's probably the only game in this in this group where they can actually control possession and be able to dictate things. So that's a really important game for them. And if they can somehow win that game, which won't be easy, by the way, but if they can do it, um, I actually do think that they they'll have a decent chance at going through because uh, Mexico, their first game is against Germany, and they're and obviously no one knows what will happen, but they're not expected to win that game um at least on paper that's that that's that's not what that's not how things are indicated so um if korea can beat sweden um i do think the chances of them going through sort of becomes 50 50 and final question for you here steve on south korea i asked this to andy and we'll ask this to just about every guest i have on these world cup preview Mm -hmm. podcasts who are some of the potential breakout players you could see in this south korean squad again like we said earlier a lot of them are certainly lesser known definitely some younger players in the squad who's somebody that you think could have a big world cup here yeah i mean number one player is the one that i mentioned lee jae sung who plays for Jeonbuk. but if i have to mention another player it would be lee sung woo who plays for ellis verona in, in 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 italy um, that was actually his uh, very first uh, professional season after he uh, transferred to, to, to Verona from uh, Barcelona's youth team, under-19 team. And he's only a 20-year-old, and he only recently made his international debut uh, last week against Honduras, and he was extremely impressive in that game. And um, to be completely honest, he was selected for for this team because of all the injuries that Korea has had over the last um, few weeks. But uh, he was he was absolutely brilliant against Honduras. And... Uh, he didn't have the best of seasons in Italy this this past year, but he did score a goal against AC Milan, which was another um, very impressive goal. And he's a fantastic dribbler of the ball, and um, he's also he can also he can also make plays a little bit, which is something that Sonningmin is not able to do for for this Korean team. And I do think that the that the weak side for both uh, Sweden and Mexico is. 
their ability to defend the left flank. And Son Heung-min is, I mean, and, and Lee Seung-woo, um, I meant, um, he's somebody who can play on the right wing and cause some damage that way. So uh, if Korea are to have a good World Cup, I mean, it's a lot of risk to rely on a 20-year-old player. But he's one of the players who will have to play well for Korea. Should be very interesting to see how this Korea side does at the World Cup. We'll obviously all be watching. And we're joined now by John Arnold, the goal Mexico and CONCACAF correspondent. You've also probably heard him on the World Football phone. And he's going to talk us through Mexico in this group. John, you're very, very welcome on the show. It's great to have you. Oh, thanks for having me. So, John, all of the talk in Mexico heading into this World Cup and seemingly into every World Cup is about that fifth game, that mythical land that Mexico haven't been to in so long. It's only happened once in their history. Do you think there's reason to believe that it can happen this year for them? Yeah, and it's only happened on home soil. I, I, I don't love Mexico's chances this year, but that's not really down to what the squad is. I, I think it's maybe Mexico's best ever team, to be honest. I think Juan Carlos Osorio, for all the criticism he's received, has a very... Uh, confident group. I think he has a very united group. I think he has a group that's playing good, good soccer. So the difficulty, of course, is that if Mexico advances as the second team, which you'd expect them to do because they're in a group with reigning champion Germany, and they go out to the round of 16 and play the first team in the group they're crossing with, you're expecting that to be Brazil. Now, of course, you know, it's all, it could all come out in the wash, right? We didn't expect Costa Rica to get out of their group, much less win it in 2014. And that's exactly what happened. But uh, you don't have to, you, you have to look at that and say you don't love their chances to get to that fifth game. At the same time, like I said, I mean, this is a talented Mexico team. I think Osorio is a very prepared coach. So, I think there's reason for Mexico fans to be cautiously optimistic that this will be at least a good tournament, if maybe not a historic one. But uh, that's not really the posture they've generally taken. So uh, we'll, we'll have to see how it goes. I think it's it's very easy to be skeptical about Mexico's chances of making the fifth game. It looks sort of like this is going to be just like every other World Cup they've had pretty much uh, in recent memory. You said cautiously optimistic is how you think Mexico fans should be. That is not how they were on Saturday night in their friendly against Scotland. A 1-0 win for Mexico in which they looked impressive, but the goals didn't really come. Kind of the same story as their friendly against Wales earlier. Uh, Juan Carlos Osorio, not exactly a popular man in Mexico at the moment. They chanted Fuera Osorio. Of course, Osorio out at the at that send-off match in Mexico City. Why are they so mad at Juan Carlos Osorio? It, it seems like he's done pretty well with Mexico. Do you think the anger is justified? I don't. And why are they mad? It, it seems to be sort of a combination of things. He's very different. And I don't just mean because he's a foreign manager, although I do think that has something to do with it, at least in, in some people's evaluation of him. He's he's a nerd. You know, he's a lot like us. I think he, he's one of these guys who lives and breathes football. He loves tactics. He loves, you know, the, the greats, Bielsa. He's very proud that he's he's met and had dinner with Sir Alex Ferguson. He talked to Goose Hiddink before the World Cup. Uh, he talked to Van Gaal before the World Cup. You know, this is a this is a guy who loves football. And Mexico, while we do think of it as a country that loves football, and it is, it's not necessarily a country that loves football tactics wise like in Argentina or in Italy I don't think I think it's more you know culturally they just want to see a fun game they want to they want to win I mean, that's being overly reductive of course as I think we always are when we're talking about kind of cultures and how we view the sport and that kind of thing but, but that's sort of what Osorio is dealing with so I think he's come into this situation where that's the reality and he's trying to do something different he doesn't want to play the same 11 every game he wants to 
try and decipher what exactly would be the best alignment that he can possibly put out there to defeat that opponent on that day. If it's Saturday and, and this team has a winger that's injured or going back to, to join a, his club team on Sunday, that changes everything. If there's an injury for the other team, that changes everything. He really does look at the other team, evaluate everything, scout obsessively, send videos to his own players. But I think his players believe in him. And now that they're out of Mexico, maybe a little bit of a paradox, but now that they're not at home and not dealing with the fans, they're in Denmark right now, then they're obviously going to Moscow as their base in their first game against Germany. I think they'll have a little more breathing room maybe to to sort of express themselves both as, as human beings and footballistically. So I don't think the criticism is warranted for Osorio. I think it comes because he's just such a peculiar figure and people aren't sure what to make of him. And, and when you're not winning 3-0, 4-0, even though you put 29 shots in on Scotland and you only got one goal, you know, it's easy to make the evaluation and say, that was a great game. Mexico dominated. It looked very good. But the fans, I think, were saying, why didn't we win 3-0? Why didn't we win 4-0? That's how we used to do things. So it's a difficult situation for him. And, and look, <laughs> you're not going to hear Fuera Osorio if he is able to get to the Quinto Partido or beyond, right? It's all about results. And if he's able to do something that no Mexican manager has ever been able to do, then yeah, he'll come back to a hero's welcome in Mexico City and then perhaps be off to greener pastures where he's not so harshly viewed. And that was my next question for you, John. Do you foresee a scenario in which Osorio continues as manager of Mexico after this World Cup? Or is the writing on the wall that he's probably gone to somewhere else? You know, it's funny. The writing is on the wall, but the writing was also on a little piece of paper that he held up sort of on the slide during a press conference announcing his 23 men or 28 men provisional squad actually and it was the future 11 and it's a lot of these u20 players and, and young guys who who didn't make this mexico team maybe had one or two call-ups during this era but but you can see either osorio is actually sort of toying around with the idea of sticking around or he just wanted that to be seen you know he's a clever guy he knows how to talk to the press he knows what the mexican press in particular will sort of latch on to so i still don't think it's going to happen because i think if he has a disappointing world cup if mexico goes out at the group stage i think he's fired but if he has a great world cup i think they're very very many teams that would be able to that would want to give him the welcome get him to a, a different situation in a situation that's more comfortable osorio said years ago when he took the job i'm not buying a house here i know how it is i know as a mexico manager you live day to day he's renting and i think he's still renting in mexico city to be honest with you so i wouldn't be surprised if he's happy to go to a place where there's less pressure on him and perhaps more appreciation for uh, for his style. So John, let's get into talking about this Mexico squad in depth. A lot of familiar faces for those who have seen L3 at past World Cups. There's Chicharito, there's Andres Guardado, there's Rafa Marquez again in the Mexico squad. How do you think this Mexico team will look to play? And obviously it's difficult because as you said, maybe more so than any other team at this World Cup, they'll switch from a match-by-match basis. Do you think we'll see the majority of the players in this squad on the pitch at some point in this group? Probably, although, you know, one thing Osorio has pointed out when people question him about his rotations, which they do at every opportunity, and it gets quite old for even me listening to questions as another journalist, so I'm sure he's absolutely fed up with it. Um, he's pointed out, look, we do have a base, right? Like Chicharito will play, Miguel Layun will play. I think Guillermo Ochoa is probably the number one goalkeeper. I don't know that he'll be rotated out. I think Osorio might have learned his lesson in that case in the Copa America Centenario when he played multiple goalkeepers and then lost 7-0 to Chile in the quarterfinal. Uh, I think, you know, Hector Moreno, he's got a little bit of a, an injury concern, but if he's totally healthy, I think he'll play pretty much every game for Mexico. There are these key players who, who are going to be relied upon and, and form the base. And I think you'll probably see five, six, maybe even seven Mexico players in at least the two of the three group games, maybe all three, and then probably continuing to, to carry the flag as far as Mexico goes. So uh, we will see changes. You know, Osorio 
he, he changes the formation, he changes the personnel, but there are certain things about his style that do stay the same. He has a clear idea of play that he wants. He wants his players to, to pressure, to win the ball back, and he wants the transition from defense to attack to be as rapid as possible. How do they do that? A lot of times they do that by when they win the ball, they look to the wings. He wants as much width as possible in his team. He relies on wingers, and luckily for Mexico, he has incredibly talented wingers. You know, Carlos Vela, Irving Lozano, Jesus Tecatito Corona, and even Javier Aquino from Tigres, you know, he's probably going to get overlooked. He's not exactly one of the star men, but he'd probably start for a fair few teams at this World Cup were he not, you know, behind Lozano and, and Corona on the depth chart. So it's really important for this team to get width, and I think they'll be able to do that. And that's sort of Osorio's idea. He wants pressure. He wants the, the quick transitions. He wants the team to get width. And, and he also wants the team to be strong in the air. Mexico hasn't always been strong in the air. There's a lot of short players who Osorio sort of ignored during his tenure. So I think set-piece defending is something that's keeping him up at night. We'll see if they're able to, to sort of uh, push past that. But but I think there is sort of a divine style from Osorio. And he, he, even in formation, he wants to play a 4-3-3. It's just he doesn't always know if that's the best option. And so I, I think we might see him deviate from that in a couple different games. But, uh, but again, I think there will be sort of a base. And when you see Mexico play, you'll be able to say – that's what, what they're trying to do. That's what Osorio wants to, to happen. So with all the changes, there is still a direction in this team. And I think that's something that maybe has been underplayed as we sort of talk about Osorio's love for changes. You brought up Irving Lozano when you were talking there, John. He's a player that I'm personally really looking forward to seeing on the World Cup stage. Obviously very successful at Pachuca before he left Mexico. Now with PSV in Holland, he seems to have hit the ground running. Big clubs are circling. How good do you think Irving Lozano is? And do you think he'll be one of the breakout players at this World Cup? Not just just for Mexico, but for anybody. Yeah, he could be. He's certainly the player where when people say, who, who's the breakout player that I've been selecting, you know, but on the one hand, he's sort of a known quantity, right? PSV is not in the top four leagues, but it's not small potatoes either. He really excelled there. Uh, is quick, is shifty, can keep the ball at his feet. He's fouled at a ridiculous amount because he has the ball closed and suddenly it's away from him and the defender's only recourse is to stick out an arm or stick out a leg and, and bring him down. Uh, yeah, I think he's a really talented player. I think that he could move to a bigger European team. And, and really, the one thing that's interesting about Lozano is that I think he would be considered a breakout star of the World Cup if Mexico can have a good tournament. If he only plays three group games, even if he scores a couple goals, I think he might be forgotten. But I don't think it's necessarily on him. I don't know that he's the key player for Mexico, but he is a player who's very good and will contribute. Maybe that doesn't make sense, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I think he could be sort of seen as a star man, but I'm not sure that he controls things. It controls Mexico's destiny maybe as much as other players. Uh, that said, like I said, I think he's really talented. Could be, could be seeing him in the Premier League or La Liga here in the next even a couple of months, but maybe a year, uh, maybe two years. You know, he, he's certainly the kind of player who has the talent that's had it for a while. One other thing briefly on Chucky, his nickname, is that uh, in 2016, Osorio brought him along, went to the Copa America Centenario, went to the Olympics, disappointed at, at both. I think he just played so much football. He had just taken Pachuca to the championship in Liga Mekis, which was a big surprise. Then he's you know, asked to be a national team guy at senior level. Then he's asked to be a national team guy on the, on the young person at the Olympic level and really disappointed. I think that he does have a big desire to show that he can do it not only at the club level, 
but that he consist, can consistently perform with Mexico. So I think he has a lot of desire in this tournament. He's, he's a really laid back, really mature kid. Um, so we'll see if he's able to produce. But I do think he's the kind of player who could uh, score a couple goals for Mexico, set up a couple goals for Mexico, and, and really could stand out at this tournament, again, if Mexico is able to progress. Your answer to the Lozano question, John, begged another. If you don't think he is the key player for Mexico, who do you think is the key player for Mexico? Is there a key player for Mexico? Yeah, Hector Moreno, the left center back. You know, he's just so critical to their defense and he's so critical to their attack. A lot of the attacks from Mexico start with him. He's he's left-footed. He passes really well. He can pass across the field to the right winger, typically a Carlos Vela uh, who's playing inverted and you know can take the ball down with one touch and then skin a defender with his preferred left foot and then all of a sudden you got a chance, right? And he can also play it you know short and, and that kind of thing. I just think he's so critical to Mexico. The fact that he's carrying a bit of a knock is really concerning. You know the other players that are injured, Andres Guardado, also a huge, huge of huge importance to Mexico and Diego Reyes who was a versatile player, also very important to Mexico. You look at the, the three players that were carrying injuries that missed out on the Scotland game, and it's, I think, Osorio's first, fourth, and fifth most started player during his tenure, and some of that was because Reyes has had other injuries that he wasn't higher on the list. So it, it's really concerning that those players are not at 100%. If Moreno is not at 100%, I think Mexico is in big, big trouble. Carlos Salcedo of Eintracht Frankfurt, uh, he's been playing on right back for, for Mexico, at club level, he's played some of left center back. That's where he played against Scotland and was actually brought on as a sub against Wales to do the same thing. It seems like he's the backup and he is still a quality player, but compared to what Moreno's able to do and how critical he is to the national team, the most started player in the Osorio era, if he's not at 100%, I think it's going to be very difficult for Mexico to play like they want to. As we shift into kind of looking at Mexico in this group, John, how important do you view that first game against Germany? I think there's kind of two lenses that it could be viewed in that Mexico need a result in that match just kind of for momentum's sake, for morale's sake, even if it's just a draw against the Germans. Or also you could kind of view it as irrelevant given that nobody else in the group, South Korea or Sweden, is probably going to get a result against Germany. And so it'll come down to those matches anyway. How do you kind of look at that matchup in particular and kind of how Mexico stacks up with the rest of this group? Yeah, I think that that could, I sort of view in in the second lens that you mentioned. I think that this is a game where if Mexico gets something out of it, all of a sudden you start dreaming about, hey, maybe we win this group and maybe we don't have to deal with Brazil if that's how things fall. You know, because then it would probably come down to goal difference if Germany is able to take care of business and so is Mexico, right? That said, I mean, I think this is a game that, that Osorio very much wants to win, that Mexico very much wants to win, that they really have been thinking about for a very long time. Osorio said in the press conference a couple, couple days ago that they had their starting 11 for this game. He had it written out at the start of April. So it's changed because of the injuries. And, and I think Nestor Rajo, who's not going to be at the tournament, was on that starting 11. But now, you know, things shift around. But this is still a game they've been thinking about for a long time. They've been targeting for a long time. and They really want to get something out of. So if they do get something out of it, again, you start to dream that maybe you, you, you can win the group. And I think it's a huge morale boost in general because it's sort of the validation of months and months of work. But if you don't get anything out of it, like you said, I, I wouldn't be too concerned still because I still think that Mexico – well, I do respect and think both South Korea and Sweden have good elements and maybe we'll give Mexico more trouble than, than the Mexican press that I chat with are, are giving them credit for. Uh, I do think they could pose some, some difficult challenges. So, you know, I, I think Mexico still gets through uh, if, if uh, they can't get a result against Germany. But obviously anything against Germany, I don't want to say it's bonus because I think, again, it would be really key and they've been preparing for it as a game that they, they want to win and, and don't view it as extra. They view it as you know maybe the most important game in, in quite some time, especially after Germany won 4-1 in the Confederations Cup last time around. Um, but, but that said, 
maybe it is a little bonus if, if, if they're able to get a result. So I, I think the schedule sets up for Mexico to kind of dust themselves off if they're not able to get anything against the reigning champion. And then, like I said, hopefully in Mexico's situation, get through. All right, John, time to put you on the spot. I've put every expert on the spot that we've had on these podcasts. I want your prediction for her, this group, who comes in first, who comes in second, and then more so if you think Mexico gets out of this group, how far do you have them going in the World Cup? Will it be another four games and out? I'm sticking chalk. I think it will be four games and out. I think Germany wins it. I think Mexico takes second, and I think they fall against Brazil. Uh, I don't love Brazil's group uh, that much. I think second place is maybe up for grabs. But if you have to play Brazil in that round of 16, uh, as you probably know better than me, it's looking like a pretty good squad. So I don't love their chances. I think it might be another uh, round of 16 exit, which is a shame because I do, again, think this is the best Mexico team that they've had maybe ever. But uh, that's the way the draw shakes out. So prove it. Prove it, Mexico, but I don't think they will. It does feel like had Mexico been drawn into another group with maybe kinder circumstances somewhere along the line, this could be the World Cup that they finally make a run, but it's just mm-hmm. really difficult to see it, isn't it? I think it? when you look at that friendly that they had in November against Belgium in Belgium, a 3-3, you know, they hang they hang with the team. When the team comes out and plays and and maybe doesn't have all the talent that Brazil has or doesn't have a Neymar, you know, I think that they can hang. I think that they're a good enough team when a team plays football. And even Poland, you know, they, in that November window, that was really – uh, key those two friendly matches to, to give confidence to Mexico and sort of validate the project and say look we can hang with some of these teams that are in the top 10 of the FIFA rankings that are considered some of the best in the world but uh, you know if they were matched up against the Belgium or a Poland or, or even in England or something like that I think they would have a really good chance but against Brazil I, I just don't see it all right John before we let you go where can the listeners find you on social media and is there anything right now that you'd like to plug oh I'm at Arnold comma John spell out Arnold John with no H on Twitter you can find my Facebook on the, on the Twitter page uh, I'm around you, you can find me uh, I've got a big thing coming out on on the fifth game and how uh, mentality changes spoke with a sports psychologist down in Mexico spoke with Mexico's uh, mental coach who was brought on after that 7-0 loss against Chile uh, so that'll be coming out on goal.com uh, here in the next couple of days so so stay tuned for that, and then I'll be in Russia uh, covering the team. So if you are interested in El Tricolor, uh, I'll, I'll try and keep you updated. I'd love to interact on Twitter. Uh, so shoot me a message, and I'll look forward to chatting with you. Thanks so much for joining us here, John. My pleasure. Y'all take care. And we're joined now by Nima Tavale, who's going to talk us through Sweden. Nima, very thankful that you decided to come on the show. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me. So Nima, when we talk about this Sweden side, I think the place where seemingly everybody wants to start is Latan Ibrahimovic. He's not in the squad. Did you think there was ever really a chance that he'd be in this World Cup squad? Uh, when it comes to his Slatan uh, Ibrahimovic to be or not to be in the Swedish national team and especially the world cup was was it was it was always down to him um the way it was it was very clear that if he wanted to if he felt that he was fit enough to play if he was fit enough to partake if he wanted to partake he would have partaken i think he he pretty much i think this past season showed when he couldn't when he you know when he was talking about getting back into the uh, into into you know for, uh, following his injury to recover fully from that serious injury at Manchester United and how he failed to do so kind of showed that it was uh, it was not going to happen because he he's always uh, been a player that and a character that always has always been very clear that he wants to be do it at the uh, you know if he can't play at his highest ability if he can't deliver at his highest then he doesn't want to be there. 
And I think it, when it didn't work out this season, at this past season at Manchester United, where he couldn't, he was physically unable to 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 play uh, and play regularly. And and when he did play, he didn't do so very well. I think it was very clear that it wasn't going to happen. So now let's get into the players that are actually in this squad. We don't have to talk about Zlatan <laughs> anymore. Uh, who do you think are some of the key players in this squad, and how do you think they'll approach this difficult group? Um, this Sweden uh, is a very um, is a is a team that is built on the collective as the like uh, they're built their strength is their is their collective uh meaning their their team spirit uh how they're organized defensively as a team how they attack as a team it's 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 a collective it's not it's not a it's a group of individually very mediocre players um it's not there are no superstars there are no um there are there are players who stick out a little bit here and there like Emil Foschberg uh, but um, other than that, it's a very homogenous uh, team in terms of te- technical ability and tactical ability. And, and but that's also their strength. They're very um, they're very close knit. Uh, they they all work as a unit, and that's their strength. Um, this is a team that does not concede a lot of goals uh, at all. They they don't concede much space to their. Um, to their opponents uh, uh, at all, they are very. Um, but when they move forward, um, they move as a unit, uh, and they're very good at counter attacks. I mean, Sweden scored a lot of goals uh, in in the World Cup qualifiers um, via this just this way uh, by being very good on the counter attack. Uh, and uh, moving uh, like in a, it's it's a traditional. If, you, if we disregard the Ibrahimovic years, especially these past six years, six seven years, I'd say this is a return back to the traditional Swedish uh, national team mentality of of a you know of a group mentality. Right, and that seems to be the story for so many teams at this World Cup. The collective kind of more important than the individuals. You mentioned their counterattacking ability. Which players do you think are key for Sweden when they do look to counterattack? And that does kind of feel like something they may do a lot in this group, especially with Germany and Mexico present. Emil Forsberg without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, Emil Forsberg is a counterattack specialist. That's what he's done. At, uh, uh, in, in, in the Bundesliga, which has made him kind of propel him, propelled him onto the stage in the Bundesliga as, as, a, as, a, as a top-class player in that league. It is his ability to, to score goals and assists on the counter-attack. That's, that is his strength. And he will have to be, he, he will have to uh, take on that, uh, take on that responsibility and do so well in, in the in the World Cup if Sweden not to have any chances of going through uh, from the group. So Nima, what's the mood like in Sweden around this team as they head towards the World Cup? What are kind of the expectations? What is defined as success? So often in these World Cups, it's simply getting out of the group. Is that the position that, that you think Sweden find themselves in with the public? I mean, Sweden haven't been in a World Cup since 2006. So this is the first time uh, in 12 years, this is the third World Cup uh, that they were close to missing out, uh, and the first, uh, the first post Ibrahimovic um, qualifier, and they managed to get to the World Cup. So that's um, they're very people are very excited, um, looking forward to it. 
um, the, the people's, I would say their expectations are that they should be able to, the Sweden should beat South Korea. Uh, they should be able to at least get a draw against Mexico, maybe even beat Mexico, uh, and then try to draw against uh, Germany uh, to go through to the group. Because if Sweden somehow miraculously win the group, uh, then they can af- avoid playing Brazil in the next round, uh, which is bound to happen if they finish second. Uh, and Brazil is a team that Sweden has never beaten in a competitive game. That is the story of so many of the teams in this group. They want to avoid second place because they're scared of Brazil. Uh, and talking with John Arnold earlier about Mexico, that was a point that he definitely made as well, that Brazil was the team that Mexico wanted to avoid. And, and that was something that Andy Wells said about Germany, that they don't want to slip up in the group stage because if they do, Brazil could be waiting for them in the knockout round. Who are some of the players in this squad, Nima, that you think could maybe have a breakout World Cup? You've talked about Forsberg already. Is there anybody else in this squad that maybe is a little lesser known, uh, whether they're young or not, that you think could kind of break out on the World Cup stage and kind of earn themselves some plaudits? Yeah, I think uh, the left back, uh, Augustinsson, who plays in the Bundesliga, is a player who a lot of people don't know, uh, but he's a very, very talented player. Um, he's a he's a player that... Uh, that half of Europe was chasing, and he's one of those players that they that that is expected to become uh, to become um, to become one of the leading uh, to become one of the biggest names in this Swedish team going forward. Uh, I think he if he if he can be if he's fit if he's fully fit and he gets you know he, he can show what he can do. I think he's a he's a player that will 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 catch a lot of people's eyes. Um, other than that, it, it's re- it's really rather, uh, as I said, it's a very uh, homogenous and a very um, uh, it's a very limited teams in terms of technical ability. Um, they, I mean, you have uh, if you look at the midfield, it's hardly that much flair there. I mean, if you look at the midfield, you have you have intelligence there. Sure, you have tactical and uh, intelligence there, but it's hardly. Uh, uh, it's hardly the midfield of uh, Spain or Germany or Brazil. It's 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 not a it's not a very um, technical technical midfield at all. All right, Nima, it's time to put you on the spot. How do you see this group F going? Do you think Sweden can get out of the group? Do you think they'll join Germany, or do you think that it, this group will prove to be too much for the Swedes? I think Sweden will go through from this group. Um, I think Sweden will go through to the second round. Um, I think they'll beat. Uh, I think they'll beat uh, South Korea in their first game, and I think they will be able to tightly defeat Mexico, uh, and I think that they will lose to Germany, as Sweden always does, and then they will finish in the second position and then go out to Brazil in the next round. That South Korea match, which opens things up for Sweden, Nima, is so, so huge. Because Mexico does have to play Germany first, the thinking is that they probably won't get anything there. And so if Sweden can get three points from that match against South Korea, then they could, in essence, be ahead of Mexico as this group kind of plays out. And that could be a situation where maybe a draw against the Mexicans is enough for Sweden. So that first match against South Korea is certainly something that will be huge. They probably need three points from that one. Yeah, uh, that's that's kind of what I'm building my, my, my prediction on, is that Sweden will defeat South Korea. And then that means that they're ahead, exactly like you said, which means that Mexico will go into that game chasing the game. And that's a game plan uh, and that's uh 
that's a, that, that's a kind of game that suits Sweden really well, meaning that Sweden can kind of lie, lie on the counterattack, and that's why I think they will beat Mexico. I don't. I mean, if it was a game where it was the other way around, where Sweden started against Germany and, and Mexico played against South Korea, I think we would see something completely different. I think that the tables would be reversed there because then I, Sweden would have to chase um, Mexico. Uh, whereas I think this is now this way, it's the other way around. I think Sweden will have three points and uh, can can kind of lay back and, and, and force Mexico to expose themselves um, defensively where Mexico is weak. And I think Sweden will 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 um, exploit that. Well, Nima, thank you so much for joining us. Can you let the listeners know where they can find you on social media? And do you have anything you want to plug right now? Um, they can follow my personal account on at Nima Tav uh, R O D Nima Tav Rood on Twitter. Uh, other than that, it's uh, I run I run the site Samprinte.com, which is uh, the world's biggest internews site in English, and we are full in, in full swing of covering the transfer window right now. So. Uh, if you're an Inter fan or a Serie A fan, check us out. All right, Nima, thank you so much. Thanks for joining us. Well, now that we've covered all four of the teams in this group in depth, it's time to get the predictions of the two guys we started the pod with. Andy, will bring you back in. A two-part question for you here as we get your prediction. One, how do you see this Group F going? And two, kind of beyond that, how far do you see this Germany side going in the World Cup? They've got a string of, of major tournament semifinals. Seems like that's probably in the cards again, but I'm curious to get your opinion on it. Yeah, in terms of the group, I do expect Germany to win it. I think no surprises there. Um, tough one to call quite who can go through. I mean, a good point there in you know that opening match between Sweden and South Korea could well be a decider as to who finishes second in the end. Um, in terms of how far Germany can go, can they win it? Of course they can. You know they're, they're a fantastic side, like I've described, and you know they're still a brilliant side. They've got so much depth there. They are the reigning world champions. Um, who's to say they can't win it again? I don't think they will. Though this time, um, I, I certainly expect them to get to the semi-finals, but I, I just. For some reason, I, I'm not expecting them to win this tournament. Um, perhaps it's like the old Champions League thing, you know, nobody ever wins it back-to-back, but then Real Madrid go win it three times on the bounce. So who knows? But I I would expect them to certainly get to the semi-finals, but for some reason, I just don't envisage them uh, successfully defending their title. And Steve, what about for you? How do you see this Group F going? Do you see South Korea getting getting out of this group, or do you think it'll be Germany in a combination of either Sweden and Mexico? My objective uh, prediction is for obviously Germany to top the group, and uh, if I had to make a guess on this in, on second place, I would go with Mexico. I mean, uh, I think I've been covering the Mexican team as, as a part of my coverage for the World Cup since uh, since since January, and they seem like a team that's that's ready to compete at this level. Um, obviously, Korea it'll be difficult, but I also want to mention that this is going to be the last World Cup for their captain Ki Sung Young, who has been their best player over the last decade or so and obviously Son Min is somebody who's at the prime of his career so I do think that the players will be very very motivated to play well obviously for their country at the World Cup but also for their teammates so um, I do think they'll give a really really difficult fight for all three teams in the, in the group 
But, um, I mean, objectively speaking, I don't expect them to go through, honestly. I've made some pretty bold predictions on these World Cup preview podcasts, but this is a group that I kind of think goes according to plan. I think Germany come through pretty easily in first, with Mexico behind them in second. But just when you think that, you never know what could happen in these groups. Well, a big thank you to these guys for coming on the show today. Steve, while I have you, where can the listeners find you on social media? And is there anything right now that you'd like to plug? Sure, you can follow me on Twitter. It's obviously uh, twitter.com slash realstevescores. Real Steve Scores. That's my Twitter handle, um, realstevescores. And Andy, how about you? Where can the listeners find you on social media? And is there anything that you'd like to plug right now? Yeah, if you uh, wish to follow me on Twitter, my, uh, my Twitter handle is at Andy Armchair. Yes, it's odd as it sounds. And um, if you are, if you if you're interested in the Bundesliga, or perhaps you just like to uh, to get interested or learn a little bit more, yeah, I've been writing a, a weekly column for the uh, the World Football Index website uh, called the Bundesliga Zeitung. Uh, so uh, please do check it out. Have a read. It's not very taxing. It's just a nice, easy roundup of things as they've gone through the season. So uh, please do check it out. Certainly should be a good read ahead of the World Cup if you do want to get knowing more about that. Well, thank you to everybody who joined us on the show today. All that's left for me to say now is thank you to you, the listener, and goodbye.